Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning? We're going to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 4, and reading verses 1 through 5. If you've got a pew Bible that you're using, you can find it on page 33. Pastor Bruce continues the series, God's Got Questions, and if ever there were an appropriate question for Mother's Day, as I'm sure they've all heard this question, or had to actually ask the question, what's that in your hand? Again, we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you this morning. God, we just, we just sit in awe of your power and your wonder and your grace. Lord, on Mother's Day, as we remember the grace that they've shown to us, Lord, may we also remember, God, the, the mighty power and the mighty awesome ways that you show it to us. Lord, just speak to us this morning and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading. God's Got Questions. That's the series we've been in for the last few Sundays, and we want to continue in this series today of God's Got Questions. And what we've been doing is basically looking at six different questions that God asked in the Old Testament. And so today is question number five. We will wrap this series up with question number six next Sunday. And uh, as we have learned over the course of these last few weeks, that God's questions are often personal, they're often pointed, uh, in our lives, but yet they are for our benefit. God, when he asks these questions, it's not for his benefit. He already knows the answers. He's, he's all-knowing as God. And so God asks these questions for our benefit. Uh, he wants us to kind of stop and evaluate where we are in life, what we think, what we believe. And that's the purpose of these questions. They challenge what we really believe about ourselves, what we really believe about God, and they challenge our behavior in life in relation to what God says in his word. And so uh, we've looked at several different questions so far. We looked at God's question when Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, where are you? Uh, we also looked at God's question when Cain killed Abel, what have you done? We looked at God's question when Sarah laughed at God's promise that she would one day have a son. And uh, God came and asked, why did you laugh? And then his follow-up question to Sarah was, anything too hard for the Lord? And we learned that, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And then last Sunday, we looked at God's question to engage Abraham in prayer. When he says, shall I hide my plan? Shall I hide my plan from Abraham? And of course, we learned that the answer was no. God did not hide his plan of both redemption and in his plan of judgment from Abraham. He revealed that in one chapter, Genesis chapter 18, and he even reveals his plan to us even today. This morning, we want to continue, as I said, and we want to look at the life of Moses, especially 
at that time in his life when he's at the burning bush and he considers his call from God. Moses has already posed a number of excuses to God as to why he cannot fulfill God's call on his life. I mean, it was one excuse after another. And of course, God carefully answered each of those excuses. But when you think of excuses, uh, my how I am reminded that we are an excuse-prone society. We all offer up excuses to God. In fact, I'm Here are some actual excuse notes from parents written to their child's school. Are you ready for some of these? Here we go. I kid you not. These were collected by one of the universities in Texas. Real, live, actual excuse notes from parents. How many teachers we have here today? Oh, you guys will love these. I'm serious. All right, please excuse Roland from PE for a few days. Yesterday, he fell out of a tree and misplaced his hip. John's been absent because he had two teeth taken out of his face. Actual excuse note written by a parent. Please excuse Tommy for being absent yesterday. He had diarrhea and his boots leak. That's just funny right there. All right. Uh, Oh, here's another one. I kept Billy home because she had to go Christmas shopping because I don't know what size she wears. Actual excuse by a mom. Number, uh, here's another one. Please excuse Jennifer for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off the porch, and when we found it Monday, we thought it was Sunday. (laughs) That's just funny. And the last excuse, you know, Sally won't be in school a week from Friday. We have to attend her funeral. I I, I think that was a misprint there or something. I don't know. But excuses were, listen. We're all experts at excuses, and I think that's one reason why we can relate so well to the character of Moses. Most of us are familiar with the life of Moses. After all, I'm sure many of you have seen the movie Ten Commandments. Raise your hand if you saw that, or have seen it. Yes, okay, every year ABC shows that, what is it, three and a half hours, four and a half, four and a half hour movie with Charlton Heston. So we're familiar with the life of Moses, and you may remember Moses lived the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's palace where he enjoyed all the prestige, all the power, all the pleasure of the Egyptian court. But over time, Moses became burdened for his people, the people of Israel, who were in bondage as slaves there in Egypt. Later on, Moses murdered an Egyptian taskmaster when he tried to help a Hebrew slave. And and of course, out of fear of what might happen to him, he fled and hid in the desert for 40 years. But during those 40 years, Moses worked as a shepherd for a man named Jethro, and he eventually married the boss's uh, daughter. And so while Moses settled into life as a shepherd, Moses was also a man who had given up on his dream in life. He had hoped to save his people from bondage in in Egypt, but everything went wrong. And then one day, Moses runs into a burning bush where God grabs his attention and instructed him to go back to Egypt to set the Israelites free. But Moses was a reluctant volunteer, to say the least. He did did not want to go back to Egypt. Instead, he listed excuse after excuse after excuse as to why he couldn't return. But thankfully, God wasn't about to give up on Moses so fast and so easy. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses began asking, 
It's part of his excuses. Who are you, God? And God made it clear that he was the God who hears and delivers his people. And then Moses asked, why me? Who am I to go and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt? God, you've got the wrong guy. Choose somebody else. I'm just a nobody. I'm just a shepherd tending sheep in the desert. And God comes back and says to him, I know. That's why I'm choosing you. But I'll be with you. Moses, at that moment, is about to learn that God uses the nobodies of this world and he uses the ordinary things that he has already given us to serve his highest purposes and in doing so to even fulfill our deepest desires in life. This learning curve for Moses began when he asked God in Exodus chapter 4 verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And that's when God comes to Moses. And he asks him this question, our fifth question in the series of God's questions. And he asks him, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? And of course, Moses' answer was what? It's one of these. This is my staff, in case you haven't figured it out. This is a staff. I got this out of our prop closet next door. All right, this is, was a prop that was used for different things over the years here in our church. And, and since the last time I checked, I don't think anybody has the occupation of a shepherd here this morning. Anybody a shepherd? I didn't. Makai, you're not a shepherd. Or Greg, Greg, you're not a shepherd. And so, no. So I thought I'd show you this prop. And so when God asked Moses, what's that in your hand? Moses is like, oh, well, this is what's in my hand. A staff. In some of your Bible versions, it calls it a rod. But it's a shepherd's staff. And that was what was in Moses' hands. There. All right, put it there. Don't want it to fall. It was a simple question with a simple answer. And yet God's question and our answer has profound impact on our own heart desires. All Moses had in his hand that day was an ordinary shepherd's staff. And to Moses, listen, it was just a dead dry stick that he used for tending sheep. That's all it was to Moses. But in the eyes of God, it was so much more than that. Now, here's what we need to understand as we progress through this message this morning. We need to understand the significance of Moses' staff before we feel the impact of God's question here. Remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's court. And do you know what Pharaoh and the Egyptians thought about shepherds? They despised shepherds. They hated shepherds. They looked down on shepherds. In fact, that's why when Joseph's family left Israel and came back to Egypt, remember their occupation? They were shepherds. And where were they, what land were they given in Egypt? They were to go to the land of Goshen. You say, well, you know, that's no big deal to us. Well, why? That's significant because that land was far away from most normal Egyptian settlements. In other words, Pharaoh was kind to Joseph's family because of Joseph, made them prosper, but he gave them land, but far away. Oh, if you're going to come to our country, Egypt, here, you can have that spot over there because they despise shepherds. Moses would have never held a shepherd's staff when he was in Pharaoh's court. He would have been groomed to hold a scepter. 
He would have gained the finest education, eaten the finest foods, and worn the finest clothing, but Moses never would have held the despised tool of a shepherd. And so when God comes to Moses there at the burning bush and asks him what he holds in his hand, what do you think would have been going through his mind as he looks at his staff that he's now holding in his hand? I think there are several things that probably flash through Moses' mind here. In fact, notice this, number one, the significance of Moses' staff. First of all, his staff reminded Moses of the life he had given up as a prince. His staff reminded him of the life he had given up as a prince. It was as if God was saying to Moses, hey, look at the staff. Look at that staff in your hand and think about what you have given up when you fled Egypt. Think of what it led you to. I think Moses probably had some mixed feelings as he looked at his staff. He, he probably remembered what his little hands held those days of growing up in Pharaoh's court. What's, when it seemed like, man, I'm getting ready to hold the whole world in my hands. Because I'm, I'm in the court of power. And now they contrasted sharply with what his big, weathered hands held now. A dead dry stick. That staff reminded Moses that he used to be a prince, but now he was just a shepherd. That staff reminded Moses that he was poor and he owned nothing. That staff reminded Moses of what his life used to be as a prince, what he had given up. And so I think that's one of the things that went through his mind. Number two, his staff, it represented the life Moses was living now as a shepherd. That staff represented a whole new life Moses was living in the desert, in Midian, which was far different from the life he had lived in Egypt. He was now living in the back of the desert, or some of your versions will say the far side of the desert, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, the back of the desert, or the far side of the desert, that's a really interesting way to describe where Moses is living as a shepherd. The far side of the desert. Just think of some uh, unsophisticated little town, in the middle of Kansas. How many have driven through Kansas before? All right. How many are like, man, this is just insomnia as I drive through Kansas? Right? Yeah, I actually think Kansas is beautiful. I was telling Bill that. Bill is from Kansas. He's from there. And I, I think it's beautiful. But when you drive through Kansas, there are some just podunk little unsophisticated towns. In fact, I happen to be born in one of those little podunk unsophisticated towns, a town called Kiowa, Kansas. The great metropolis of Kiowa. How many have heard of it? That's what I thought. One, two. All two people here have heard of Kansas. And the only reason I was born in that town is because the town my mom and dad were living in at that time, it had a post office, and that was about it. A town of 75 called Hazleton. All right? That's where I'm from. That's my roots. An unsophisticated little town in the far backside of nowhere, which is just another way of saying Moses was living in nowhere. Moses was alone. He was feeling isolated. There were no executive search firms that visited the backside of the desert. There were no talent scouts who were scouting on the backside of the desert. There's only one person watching you on the backside of the desert, and that is God. And as Moses looked at his staff, I'm sure it reminded him that he fled from the one place where he was known and where he was somebody in the eyes of the world. Number three, I think Moses' staff, as he 
held it out before God, I think it represented also his heart desire as a deliverer. It represented his heart desire as a deliverer. Remember, Moses was rescued as an infant from the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. And so perhaps Moses heard his mother tell the story over and over again for years, perhaps even every year on his birthday. His mom would say to Moses, Oh, Moses, man, I just cherish the day I found you in a basket on the river. And oh, how you were wrapped in blankets so that you wouldn't wiggle out of your basket. And right after I found you, how that young girl, Miriam, offered the Hebrew family to assist in nursing you. Oh, Moses, what a grand story that is. And so from the moment Moses was born, the idea of being rescued, of being delivered, was deeply embedded into Moses. It permeated his heart, his bones, his very being. Deep within his soul, Moses knew what it felt like to be threatened. We see evidences of Moses' heart desire to rescue people, to deliver people early in his life, such as when he he couldn't stand to see an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his own people, a Hebrew. And so what does Moses do? In the act of trying to help him, he, he kills the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Why? He was a deliverer. That was his heart desire. But the Israelites turned on him, and Pharaoh found out. So no, he's he's fearful. And so he fled into the desert. And lo and behold, when he flees to the desert, he encounters seven women who were the daughters of the priest of Midian. These women had come to draw water for their father's flocks. However, some other shepherds came along and began to drive the women away. Wouldn't let them draw water for their own flocks. What do you think Moses does? Moses comes to the rescue. He drives those other shepherds away, and he allows these women to to come into the well. In fact, he even waters the flocks for these Midianite women. Why? Why would Moses help an Egyptian slave? Why would he help some shepherd women? Because Moses' heart desire was to be a deliverer. But when everything went wrong, Moses gave up on his dream of being a deliverer. But God was teaching Moses in those moments. He was teaching him a valuable lesson along the way that he couldn't rescue people on his own in his own way. Still, that desire to be a deliverer was planted deep in the heart of Moses by his heavenly Father. And now God is about to redeem that desire. He's about to transform that desire for his glory. But it first meant Moses would have to release it, if you will, and let it go. So what does all this have to do with our own heart desires here today? Folks, it has everything to do with it. Because what God wants to do, or let me say it this way, what God did for Moses, God wants to do for you. But it means releasing our heart desire so God can redeem it for his glory. So God can transform it for him and use it for his services and in turn fulfill our deepest desires. So let's look at it. Three simple steps this morning that we can learn from the life of Moses here. Number one, three steps in releasing our heart desire. Hold it out in plain view. Hold it out in plain view. For Moses, the shepherd's staff was a visual representation of his heart desire to be a deliverer. Now, as we said before, here's our our example. 
And let me tell you, it reminded Moses of a whole lot. It was a visual representation of his life as a shepherd. A shepherd's staff is, and it is usually, most of them are about six feet tall, which is what this one is. And it's used in a variety of ways. It was a tool in the hands of a shepherd. And as you see, it has a crook here. And so it would be used to, perhaps a, a young lamb would have fallen into a crevice or a hole or something, and you could use it to rescue that sheep. Normally, it would have a knot at the end of the staff, which you could defend from attacks of ant, from animals. And you could use it as a weapon, even. Obviously, it would be used as a walking stick, and you could... You could support yourself with it. When he grew tired during the day of being on his feet and leading and guiding the sheep, he could rest from it, support himself as he's going up the mountains and through the valleys and leading and guiding his sheep to to the green pastures and still waters, as we read in Psalm chapter 23. And so the shepherd's staff was used in a variety of ways. And Moses knew all about this. And God asked him, what do you have in your hand? And Moses was like, well, here it is. This is all I have in my hand. It's my identity. This is who I am as a person. Moses saw all of this. This is how you begin to identify your own heart desire. So let me ask you a question here, and it's in your notes. What are you holding in your hand? What is symbolic of your staff? You may feel you're on the backside of the desert. You may feel you've never, never expected to be doing what you're doing, or living where you're living, but you are. So again, what are you holding in your hand as a result? Look at your, quote, staff. Perhaps it's a computer. Maybe it's a piano. Maybe it's a textbook. Maybe it's a cane, a diaper, a dish towel, a hammer, a calculator, a backhoe, a stethoscope. Maybe it's a laptop, a paintbrush, a steering wheel, or a pen. Whatever it is, it it doesn't matter necessarily. What are you holding? What does it say about your heart desire? It may be abilities, it may be possessions, it may be a relationship. And as you consider this question, some of you may be holding something right now that reminds you of a lot of pain and hurt as well. This was certainly true for Moses. His staff that he held out, Represented a lot of pain, a lot of struggle, and a lot of difficulty in his own life. And perhaps that's true of your life right now. For Moses, his staff was a constant reminder that he never reached his full potential in the Lord. It was a reminder of what could have and what should have been in life. And so whatever it is you're holding right now at this moment, what does that thing in your hand say about your life? Take some time to observe who you are, and what you've been given. And it will remind you of where you have come from and where God may want to lead you for his glory and for his purposes. So what are you holding in your hand? Once you identify it, then hold it out in plain view so you can see it and so God can see it, which brings us to step number two. Throw it down in full surrender. Throw it down in full surrender. When Moses acknowledged what he was holding in his hand, notice what the Lord told him to do next in Exodus 4 and verse 3. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Now, let's be honest, that's hard to do. 
It's hard to release something that you have in your hand. It's hard to let go of something, to drop it. But God wants us to throw it down. The Hebrew word here, it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's the idea of urgent. It doesn't mean just set it down gently and slowly. It literally means throw it down. But when God says throw down your gift, throw down whatever it is in your hand, your, your heart desire, what is usually our first reaction when God says throw it down? Throw it down. And what's our first reaction? <laughs> What? Throw it down? God, are you kidding? We have it in one hand, all of a sudden we grab it with two hands. That's our first reaction. Why? Why do we hold on more tightly instead of releasing our heart desire? Well, notice this in your notes, because we fear. We fear we won't get it back if we do throw it down. Or if we, it will come back changed and we don't want change. Basically, we're afraid to trust God with what he's asking us to throw down. And so we hold on to it more tightly because we don't fully trust God with it. He hasn't, we don't know what's going to happen with it. We don't know if, he, if we're going to get it back or if he's going to change it in some way. But here's the problem when we hold on more tightly instead of releasing it. Notice this in your notes. Until we let go of our heart desire, we cannot claim God is first in our lives. And until God is first, we cannot discover our deepest joy and greatest satisfaction. You see, here's the thing. What we don't realize is that letting go allows God to redeem it, to transform it, if you will, and to reveal to us how he wants to use it for his glory. And that's when we begin to discover our deepest joy and our greatest satisfaction. In fact, when we release our heart desire, we may find God revealing something awesome to us in the process. Until Moses threw his staff down on the ground, he was never going to see how awesome his staff could become in the hands of God. What does Moses' staff become when he throws it down? You remember? Yeah, it became a snake or a serpent, depending on what Bible version you have. And then Moses did what most of us would do when he saw that staff turn into a serpent. He ran. He ran from his own staff. He fled, which tells us this was probably not an ordinary snake that Moses might have encountered in the desert. Most likely, it was a cobra. How many of you are afraid of snakes? Be honest. All right, yeah, okay, a lot of honest people here. How many... You have, you're of the opinion that the only good snake is a dead snake. <laughs> all right, a few of you. Okay, all right, I'm with you. To us, here in the Western Hemisphere, snakes are always evil. They're wicked creatures. There's nothing good about a snake. They should just be, all of them should be killed. After all, it was the serpent who tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, Right? However, snakes are not always a symbol of evil, and they are not always to be feared. In the ancient Near East, the serpent was a symbol for special wisdom, fertility, and healing. For example, even uh, the insignia for medical doctors is a rod with wings at the top of it and a serpent entwined all the way around it. How many have recognized that insignia? Sure. 
That's the symbol of the God of healing. And so when Moses saw his staff turn into a snake, he may well have thought of healing. What else might have come to his mind when he saw the serpent? He might have thought of Pharaoh's headdress, which was adorned with the head of a cobra and its cow fully spread, ready to strike. And so the serpent in the days of the Pharaoh there in Egypt was a symbol of power and sovereignty. Do you see what God was showing Moses by turning his staff into a snake? God wanted Moses to see how awesome his staff could become when he threw it down in full surrender to him. To Moses, his staff was what? It was just ordinary. It was nothing but a tool, a weapon, a necessary part of his life as a shepherd. In his hands, that staff helped support him. It helped protect his flock. It helped him in many ways. But in his hands, it was still just a dead, dry stick. But in the hands of God, that staff became a living thing. It became a symbol of God's sovereign power to deliver the people out of bondage. It became a symbol of God's healing power to restore the people. It became a symbol of God's wisdom to serve the people. Here's the point of all this. Until Moses threw down his staff in full surrender, he would have never seen what God could do with a dead, dry, ordinary stick. And the same is true for us. Until we throw down our own staff, whatever is symbolic of that in our lives, whatever symbolizes our heart desire and our gifts, listen, we will never fully understand the potential of what God can do in and through our lives. But once you hold it out, and once you throw it down, you have to move on and take the next step. Step number three. And that is pick it up in obedient faith. Pick it up in obedient faith. This step would require more courage than Moses ever knew he had. Look what God said to Moses in verse 4 here. Reading out the NIV, it says, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Take what by the tail? The snake God turned his staff into. Pick up that snake by the tail. Moses was probably thinking what all of us would be thinking if we were in Moses' shoes. Lord, you don't know what what you're saying here. Lord, do you realize that is a recipe for disaster to pick up a snake by a tail? Everybody knows you don't pick up a snake by a tail because if you do, it will coil around and strike you and bite you and I may die. But God said to Moses, pick it up by the tail. Now why in the world would God tell Moses to pick up a snake by its tail? When everybody knows that's not the way to pick up a snake. If you're going to pick up a snake, you pick it up right behind its head, and you grab it, and you do it fast. So why is God telling him to do this? Because God knew that it would require obedient faith to pick it up by the tail. And obedient faith is exactly what Moses needed if he was going to serve God's purposes and fulfill his heart desire of delivering God's people out of Egypt. Listen to what the Bible says about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 28. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover in the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. In other words, by faith, Moses obeyed God and picked up the snake by the tail. But did Moses know what was going to happen to the snake once he picked it up by the tail? No. God never told Moses beforehand what was going to happen. And yet, look what Moses does in the rest of verse 4. Notice it here. So Moses reached out, and he took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Now, isn't it ironic how God often asks us to do things that may not only look foolish, but get this, are actually foolish from a human perspective? Folks, listen to me. God's asking Moses to pick up a snake by the tail. Now, to us, that looks foolish, just to pick up a snake, period. But that didn't just look foolish. That was foolish from our perspective. You just don't do that. That's not how it's done. And yet, that is exactly the very thing that God is telling him to do. Something that appeared foolish in his own logic and in his own reasoning. And from a human perspective, God is asking him, trust me on this. Obey me on this. Do this. God may ask us to do things in a way that shows that we really do trust God's direction more than human convention and logic. God may ask us to do things in a way that shows that we really do trust God's word and what he says to us in his word more than human wisdom or the world's way of doing things. Because God knows best. And it comes down to an issue of trust. Am I going to trust God in this? Am I going to trust God with my life? Am I going to trust God with my heart desire, with these abilities and gifts, whatever it may be in your life? You take what your heart desire is. And let me tell you, in an audience of this size, the heart desires, man, they are diverse. They are all over the place. And let me tell you, The world has its way of how to go get your heart desire and fulfill it. The world will tell you, this is how you fulfill your dream. This is how you go after it. This is how you do it. This is how, how, how. And to us, that seems so logical because that's the way everybody's doing it. And yet sometimes God comes to us and he says, no, pick it up by the tail. Trust me with this. Trust me. Will you trust me? Man, today's world, just went, the desire of relationships, let alone, let's just take that one. The desire to be married. The desire to have a, a husband or a wife, whatever the case may be. Man, we know the world has its way of how to fulfill that desire. And yet God comes to us in his word and says, trust me on this. Do it this way. And we're like... 
that doesn't make sense to me. Will you trust me? But when we trust God with our gifts, when we trust him with our heart desire, that's when God will begin to use it for his glory. And in the process, fulfill our heart desire. Notice what happened when Moses trusted God. This is awesome. Look at it in your notes here coming up on the screen. The staff of Moses became the staff of God that God used to serve his purposes and to fulfill Moses' heart desire as a deliverer. As Moses' encounter with God concludes, we read in later on in the same chapter of Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. Look at it here. It's in your notes. Look what it says. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to God, and he took the what? Staff, but who does it belong to now? God. The staff of God in his hands. Now, folks, don't just pass over this, because this is absolutely amazing here. God takes something that is so ordinary in the hands of Moses, a simple shepherd's staff, and literally transforms it into the best means possible for serving God's purposes and fulfilling Moses' heart desire. Moses leaves this encounter with God knowing that God is not limited to his abilities, to his resources, but God will work them, work through them in an awesome ways as he surrenders them to the Lord. As one commentator writes, listen to what he says, what Moses learned from the stick was that in order to be used for God's glory, he had to place his life in God's hands. And so when we throw down our staff, listen to me. In essence, we are surrendering our life to God. Because what did this staff represent for Moses? It was his identity. It was his life. And so whatever you identify in your hand as your heart desire, and this thing represented his heart desire to be a deliverer. And so when he threw it down, and God transformed it and redeemed it and turned it into a snake that symbolized all that, and then asking him to pick it up in faith, in obedient faith, that was so illogical to how you were to do things, let me tell you, he picked it up, and it's not, now, it's not an ordinary staff anymore. It's not the staff of Moses. It's the staff of God. Because Moses just didn't lay down and surrender a stick. In essence, he surrendered his life. And with his life, he surrendered his heart desire, his abilities, his possessions, you name it, he surrendered it all to God. He said, God, you take it, you do with it what you want. You use it for your purposes, not so much mine. You use it for your glory, not my glory. And of course, most of you know the rest of the story, that God used Moses in a phenomenal way to fulfill his heart desire of being a deliverer, not the way that he imagined but in a way that served God's plan of redemption for mankind. Awesome story. Simple story, but an awesome story. Now let me share with you quickly, and we'll wrap up, an example of this in my own life. 
Because when I was in high school and even in college, if you were to ask me, Bruce, what do you hold there in your hand? What's in your hand? You know what I would have had to say, in all honesty? It would have been a basketball and a textbook. Because my personal dream was to teach high school and coach basketball. That's what I wanted to do. That was my dream. That was my heart desire. So I would have been holding out a textbook in one hand, even though that really, that just came with the territory because I wanted to be a basketball coach. That's what I've been holding out. And through those years, especially in the beginning when my young 20s, I knew God was asking me, throw it down, throw it down, throw it down. And I do what most of us do. I just held it, held it more tightly because I didn't want to release it because I was fearful. I may not get it back. It may be changed. God, what are you going to do with it all? My heart desires. I want to coach. This is what I want to do with my life. And I think I can do a good job at it. I think I can make a name for myself at it. But there came a point in time where you just throw it down and you surrender. And God began to transform that and redeem it in a way I never imagine and then he, of course you got to pick it up you don't know what's going to happen but as I picked it up all of a sudden that textbook and that ball it changes a little bit but instead of teaching high school students history and coaching kids how to put a ball through a hoop I'm now picking up God's word and teaching youth how to live as a Christ follower and coaching them how to be a Christ follower through the ups and downs of a high schooler's life. You see, God still used my heart desire to teach and to coach. I was just doing it in a different setting, in a different way. And now, of course, 25 years later, I'm doing it with adults church-wide and leading that, or at least attempting to lead it all. Was it scary? Yeah, it's scary. Because God doesn't tell you up front what he's going to do with it all. He doesn't give you all the answers. He doesn't lay out the plan all ahead of time for you. And so it requires a step of faith here, a step of faith there, a step of faith there. And you have to decide, am I going to hold it out and be honest with what it is? And then am I willing to throw it down and then pick it up? When the world says, this is how you pick it up, this is how you achieve your dream and your heart desire, but no, God says, no, this is how you do it. And so now you're in this tug of war of who you're going to trust. And at that moment, that decision makes all the difference in the world. But folks, I can stand here today and tell you, in all honesty, I am fulfilling my heart desire. God has allowed me to do that. Does it look different than what I imagine as a 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old? Yeah, it looks a lot different than I ever imagined. Does that mean that Zach's wrong because he's doing what I dreamed to do? No. This is, we're talking about my life. This is what God had for me. And each of us has to evaluate this process for ourselves. Of what our gifts are, what our heart desires are, 
and what God wants to do with it. But I'm telling you, the hardest thing in the world sometimes is to release it to God. But I promise you, if you will release it and pick it up by faith and obedience, God will use it. Which brings us to our last point here. What do we learn from all this? Of God's question, what's that in your hand? It's that we learn that God wants to use the ordinary things he has given us for his glory. He just wants to use the ordinary things he has given us. Because when I looked at my life, I didn't, there was nothing really special about me. I wasn't that great of a basketball player. It was just ordinary. But God wanted to take the ordinary thing he had put in my life and use it for his glory. And I'm telling you, God will do the same thing for you. If we will go through the process of these three steps. So let me ask you. What about you? What's symbolic of your staff? What's your heart desire? What gifts and abilities has God given you, even those that seem so ordinary in your hands? Are you willing to hold it out in plain view? Are you willing to throw it down in full surrender and then pick it up in obedient faith for God's glory? Listen, you can do this even right now as we close for our response time. Because at the heart of this, you're doing this in prayer to God. You're giving your life. You're surrendering it. God, use it however you want. And I release it to you. I release all expectations to you with it. So what about it? Let's bow our heads. And as we come to our response time, man, if you've never gone through this process, let me encourage you to go through it now. Right where you're sitting. As the praise team sings, and as they play, let me encourage you to to identify what's symbolic of your staff. Write it down if you need to. to. And in prayer, you surrender it to God. Tell God, I give this to you. I surrender it to you. I'm throwing it down for your use. And then pick it up, telling God, God, I'm going to pick this up by faith. I'm going to follow your word and what it says for me. And I know you don't lay it all out. A week in advance, a month in advance, or a year in advance, but one day at a time. I'm going to just do what I know is right for today as I pick this back up and let you use it for your glory and in the process fulfill my heart desire. Lord, help us to to just act on what we have learned from the life of Moses. Lord, help us to put in action what we've heard even now. We pray these things in your name. Amen.